The reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele, and we are going to start off with something that is technically neither movie or television news, but it is kind of tangential and related. Because uh, if you've listened to the show, you know I've made the occasional Pokemon Go reference. <laughs> and I have actually played this game for about five years now, which means it's been a very long time. But... One of the things that has popped up recently is the ability to, to to do trading of the Pokemon, and that's fine. And I realize if you don't play this game, you're not going to get the game part of it. That's not the point. Give me a minute. I'm part of a Facebook group where you can trade Pokemon. It's a thing. But someone actually posted on this that uh, to someone else, I was going to trade with you, but I noticed in your profile pic that you're black. So I don't want your dirty Pokemon, and it got worse from there. What the actual <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you're... Uh, racism in Pokemon? What? Why? What? I, I, I am still flabbergasted by this. I found this about an hour before we started recording. And my mind still hurts from just the concept here. Um, it's not as bad as the other thing that I found earlier because we were holding off on recording the show until after the Titans Seahawks game, which, you know, Todd has a lot invested in. And I kept Sadly. looking at the score on NFL Network's website and I came across a fairly substantial issue that they've got. And it's nowhere near as bad as racism in Pokemon, but still, <laughs> I, I wrote started writing a letter <laughs> Uh, dear NFL Network Webmasters, I appreciate you putting up the score with the date and the time left and all that, but could you manage to squeeze in what quarter of the game it's in? <laughs> Might be helpful. There's five minutes left in the, uh, what, game? Half? Something. Talk to me. <sighs> you don't want to. It's been that kind of a week. You can tell from the movies I, I will be reviewing later that I, I had to go back a bit, something to to lighten things up a little bit. But not as light as apparently this Hawkeye trailer is making his TV series out to be. Because the, the trailer for the Hawkeye series, which we knew was coming, it's coming out, uh, I think, in November. And it looks very, very much like Die Hard. Except it's trying to be... To, to put more comedy in it. So it's not so much action adventure with comedy as it is sitcom with action. That's the feel I got out of it. Mm, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting a, I'm getting a lethal weapon vibe from it. Lethal weapon. That is also a Christmas movie, by the way. It is. Um, I would say it's action comedy is what I'm getting. And, and, and you know how Marvel does with their, their yeah. teasers. They're going to show us the light moments. I'm sure there are. Plenty. Maybe after all, she's running around in 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 the suit, which is going to get people killed. That uh, Clint was wearing. So she being Kate Bishop, she being played by Haley Steinfeld, who is a wonderful young actress. So yeah, I I, I, just, I, I just I, wanted, I don't want to make it too light. I don't think it's going to be too light. I think it's they're just kind of playing up the light moments because they've gone through some really grim things in the Marvel universe lately. So I think they're just they're you know, speaking of grim things. I keep seeing where they're going to be putting Marvel zombies in oh. the actual MCU movies. 
why. I think we covered this with what if last week. It, it, it's oh no, it's cheap. It's a cop out. I don't like it. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I imagine if they're going to go that route, it's going to be a sh- pretty short arc. I would think it would be. I don't think that's going to be the big bad because it really that doesn't make nice. sense. It doesn't really make sense as the big bad actually. No. And especially since we're all in the multiverse, I can see it being contained in this particular universe that they're in. And, you know, whatever as happens, happens. Of, and As part of the multiverse of madness, fine. Just, you mm-hmm. know, oh, look, we're here. We're home. Everyone's a zombie. Whoop, wrong ship. Yeah, you know, back through, the, back through the little circle thing. Yeah. Well, it can be in anything because we're going to see lots of pops in and pops out of multiverses in a lot of the films. I would hope because otherwise, what the hell is the point? So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I suspect that would be the, the primary thing, but it certainly could be in Marvels. Uh, could be in, in really could be virtually anything, but it makes most sense for it to be coming up in the multiverse of madness, except that's going to be really busy anyway. So I imagine that there, it's going to be much further down the line is what I'm thinking is going to happen. Maybe we'll get to wander into Kevin Feige's alleged, uh, allegedly wanted R-rated Wolverine movie. Yeah, that's the word. And it's from one of these, it's from a pair of insiders who have generally been on the money with a lot of their uh, thoughts. And it makes sense to have an R-rated Wolverine movie. I mean, they're, they're going to go ahead with a Deadpool R-rated flick. And, and this is absolutely not confirmed that they're going to do an R-rated Wolverine movie. It's not even confirmed they're going to do a Wolverine movie, period. They it would haven't make, cast him yet. Right. It would make just as, sense, as much sense to do an R-rated, basically an R-rated series and put it on Hulu, which is the rumor that they're going to put stronger titles, as in more graphic titles, on Hulu instead of on Disney+. Plus. Like Hellstrom. <laughs> Yeah, except that hopefully it would be good. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, we'll see if that happens. But like you said, it's like, haven't cast the dude yet, so this is way in the future. But, of course, they got a plan, so. Yeah. Hopefully they do that. And hopefully it's not the old man Logan's story. I really want them to do that. I really want, but not But yet. not to start with. Exactly, exactly. So does this mean... Uh... Do you think the Morbius movie? Because you had mentioned that. You said that there's a new trailer. I can't find it. Yeah, there's a new trailer for the Morbius movie, and it looks... I'm not all that hyped on that that character at all. It's like, oh, I've never have been, but... But, you know, it's uh, going to have tie-ins to Spider-Man eventually. And definitely, because Michael Keaton pops up as Adrian Toomes, who, of course, is the new Vulture. And it's like, yeah. As I said in pre-pro, hi, Ted. Beat you to it this week. Yeah. Uh, they're getting the band together. So, although Morbius was not part of the Sinister Six originally, so, but that's okay, because Adrian Toomes as bringing all of these super villains together makes perfect sense. And Michael Keaton, like, yeah, if you can put Michael Keaton in a movie, yes, please, thank you so much. So that made me, uh, honestly, I'm gonna watch the movie now. I might not have watched it otherwise, because I don't right. really care about the character and. I don't really care how he ties in with Spidey because, but Michael Keaton's in it. Yep. Sign me up for sure. I had been heavily waffling on that one. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are. And I really think that's why Michael Keaton's in the movie. 
I, I have more waffling news later, but you know, we'll we'll get to that. Waffle later. House. Um actually it is almost Waffle House like. <laughs> but uh, an international uh, house of waffles. HBO Max was dropped from Amazon. Yes, it was. Which I thought was weird. So they have come up with a new offer. You can now stream all of their stuff for $7.49 a month for six months as an introductory offer. I have not heard how much it goes up to after the six months. I imagine it goes up to the $14.99, which is a really good deal. But again, if you already have HBO, don't subscribe to HBO Max because it's free. You've already got it. They do a terrible job of letting you know this still somehow. So if you already got HBO on your cable, you have access to HBO Max. Just sign up that way. But yeah, it's it's a good deal. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's totally worth it. I mean, it's eating box office for a lot of their releases because they have a lot of day and date releases on HBO Max. Dune. Warner says. Yeah. So, which is interesting because Dune is theatric, theatrical release only overseas, but in the U.S. and I think it's Canada, maybe. I'm not sure if it's also I Canada. Think Canada. But uh, definitely in the U.S., it's day and date with HBO Max, which was enough of a compromise to make uh, the director happy because he was totally not happy about oh, absolutely not. day and date, which I can understand. Most people are not going to be happy with that, but it's the reality of what we're dealing with in, in the U.S. So Shang-Chi is streaking along in the box office because it's not day and date on streaming services. And, and it's it's you can see what's going along there. Still number one at the box office three weeks in a row now. See, you beat me to that. I was going to use that just after this story, which is just a brief thing because it has to do with home entertainment and streaming and stuff. LG announced that they are making a new 8K <laughs> direct view LED TV. The reason I bring this up is because it is a 325-inch TV. It's kind of big. It weighs just under a ton and costs $1.7 million. This is a movie screen-sized TV for your apartment because it's convenient. <laughs> That's on, it's on my Amazon wish list already. Yeah, seriously, it weighs almost a ton. <laughs> oh, my God. Help that's, me carry it up large, the It's a large TV. That is that's huge. That's, that's, I mean, it's not, but it, it almost makes you think it's like, okay, that's the thing that they put in those stadiums. It's like, holy crap. That, yeah. I mean, that, that really is movie TV. screen size. It's huge. That's a big TV. 300, I'm sorry, 321? 325 inch. 325, sorry. I didn't want to cheat them out of the, the four inch spread there. Because that makes all the difference that for five, five inches. inches. Four inches, uh, yeah, can make all the yeah. difference in the world, depending on the situation. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's for the other show. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm, that's a wow. big screen. Hi, Ted. Um, <laughs> moving, on, <laughs> moving on to the stuff I watched this week. It kind of goes with, with Shang-Chi, who is still kicking his way through the box office. I watched two Bruce Lee movies this week because um, I needed to, to, to lighten up stuff. Things have been very deep and heavy of late. Yes. So I watched uh, two movies that are out of order as far as I'm concerned. The Way of the Dragon and Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon sounds like it should come first. It came second. I don't know why. That doesn't make sense in my head. 
But these dragons and their time travel, what are we going to do with them? Now, the the first one, The Way of the Dragon, features Bruce Lee as, uh, oh, hang on a minute, I lost his character's name, Tang Lung, who is the nephew of... You are Tang Lung? Yeah, nephew of a guy who uh, owns a restaurant in Italy, but he... No, he ah, screw it. There's a family thing. He gets sent to Italy to take care of a Chinese restaurant that is being forced out of business by a local mafia boss type person and his henchman who is Chinese. But he also might be the most flamboyantly gay character I have ever seen in the history of TV. And I have watched gay porn. Congratulations. Uh, he is. He is an, an wow, extremely over the top, flamboyant character, and for nineteen seventy two is like wow. he's over the top for now. Nineteen seventy two. Oh, yeah, yeah. I imagine yeah. people. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm picturing some evangelicals sitting in a theater and just bursting into flames, which would be ironic in a sense. It would be. But I digress. This is the movie that had Bruce Lee fighting Chuck Norris. Yes, it is. In what I think is one of the more surreal fights I've seen Bruce Lee do, because for some reason it seemed to be refereed by a by, pussycat, by a kitten. Yes, a kitten. A, a I don't kitten, understand. It's it's set in the Coliseum, which is pretty awesome. It's yeah. uh, which makes sense, although not down on the actual pit. It's up in up on the side of the Coliseum. But yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic fight sequence. I mean, it's a, it's a really really good movie, and and it has the incredible scene when Bruce is just working out, just kind of prepping and he, he's just flexing and somehow he manages to appear to spread his ribs. Yeah. His, his back looks like, like, like it's eight feet wide all of a sudden with like a seven inch waist. I mean, the guy was just re- in ridiculous shape. It, it was, but it's... those sequences, the sequences of him fighting with the nunchucks. I mean, it just has some, the, the fights in the alleyway, I think were wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot imagine uh, anyone who's a fan of martial arts films or martial arts period having not seen this movie because the fights are are awesome. And Bruce Lee does a really good job in this film. Uh, everyone has actually does a pretty good job. It's, it's, it's a fun movie, although there's lots of dead people. Spoiler alert for a movie that's pushing 50 years old. 50 years old. Oh, my God. 50 years old next year. Sheesh. But yeah, this is a, this is a great... In, in some ways, it's better than Enter the Dragon. Maybe because it's got more Bruce than Enter the Dragon does. I was about to say that I prefer this one to yeah. Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon did have, uh, strangely... Oh, what was his name? Jim Kelly, long before yeah. he quarterbacked the Buffalo Bills. To, you know, <laughs> and the other Jim Kelly. Yes. The one I wouldn't mind watching. He he was actually really good in this. And I, I'm surprised he wasn't in more stuff. Yeah. Um, Black Belt Jones, one of his one of his big hits, Black Belt Jones. Yeah, um, the, uh, the problem I had with this movie was, uh, which, by the way, the plot is basically Bruce is recruited by the CIA to go spy on a guy who's running a martial arts tournament <clears throat> on an island that they're not allowed to go to or something. Martial arts ensues. Because that's, you know, it's a Bruce Lee movie. I think the reason I prefer Way of the Dragon to Enter the Dragon is because of the camera work. 
I understand what they were trying to do with Enter the Dragon with doing a lot of first-person camera shooting. Mm-hmm. But they got too close, so you can't really tell what's going on. Yeah, they they needed to pull back a little bit uh, from that. Which the, the long shots are wonderful, but when you get up, get that close, and I realize it does give you a sense of what it's like to be in those fights. But at the same time, you are in absolutely no control over anything you're seeing on the screen, which makes it a bit difficult to follow what really is going on. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, you, you, some people might be confused because they may have, may be thinking of, well, I, I know what that movie, the one he fights Chuck Norris, it's, that's Return of the Dragon. That's because they t- retitled it in the U.S. because it didn't get released here until after Enter the Dragon to play off the success of Enter the Dragon. So they acted like it was a sequel, but it has nothing to do with it and yeah. actually was, was filmed a year before. These movies and, have nothing to do with each other other than cast and martial art movies. Type and, thing. And one of the reasons that the uh, that this is filmed, that the fights scenes are filmed better, is uh, Mr. Mr. <clears throat> Lee directed Way of the Dragon. That's so, a hint. Yeah. You know, if you've got someone who knows what they're doing, let them direct it. Yeah. And he did not direct Enter the Dragon. And it, it, Enter the Dragon is a really good movie. I mean, not, not saying that at all. And John Saxon does a – he was a fairly big star back then, and he he – He's good, and he is. He he quits himself. Acquits himself, and he quits himself. He quits. He quit. He sent an email. And he quit. He acquits himself fairly well in the martial arts, and then he actually was a student of Bruce Lee, which is one of the reasons he's in this. Um, but obviously, Jim Jim Kelly and Bruce carry the carry the action. Yeah, basically, Bruce Lee is a, it's a martial arts James Bond film. Is basically what they yeah. were, what they were trying to do. And more or less, they pull it off. And it's got the iconic sequence, which they stole from, or borrowed, I should say, <clears throat> from Lady from Shanghai, with the mirror sequence, which is a, a brilliant sequence in in a fifties film noir, one of the classic film noir things. And they have that mirror sequence of the, of the fight, which is fantastic. So definitely, End of the Dragon, totally worth watching. Has Excellent fight scenes with Bolo. Uh, really good flick. But yeah, I, I also prefer Way of the Dragon just a little bit because it's just more it, of a it, pure martial a arts flick. But yeah. Yeah. Whereas the other is an action adventure martial arts flick. So it kind of depends. Point is, you need to watch both of these movies. Absolutely. So let's see. We've covered Bruce Lee. We've covered Chuck Norris. What's that other uh, that other big action hit something yeah. about clint eastwood Is yeah there's another, another one? there's another icon of the, of the 70s action films and 60s and 70s it's like he was an action star before those guys and he's still making movies for christ's sake what the hell is up with that <laughs> so yeah, i watched cry macho which came out this weekend and is day and date release on hbo max so if you have hbo you had hbo max whether you know it or not so watch cry macho on that if you want to um i liked the film I have a couple major problems with the film, like huge problems with the film, but I'll, but I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Now, to me, Clint Eastwood is a director who most people don't think of him as dealing in sentiment. He's an extremely sentiment. His films are very mm-hmm. sentimental, very sentimental. And a lot of times people don't think of it because they think of Dirty Harry and blah, blah, blah. But even in the Dirty Harry films, as like in, in Dirty Harry 3, The Enforcer, 
and it's not Dirty Harry 3, but it's the third Dirty Harry film, The Enforcer. It's like there's a lot of sentiment in the relationship that he has with his partner, Tyne Daly. Even in those kinds of films, he set up Unforgiven. It's like an extremely sentimental film. Yeah, it's a bloody revenge film. Why does he go back and get revenge? Because they killed his partner and let him sit out there and displayed him. That's what he was upset about. So it's about that sentiment about his caring for his partner. And he came back and got, he was done. He got what he needed to do. He could have left. But almost all of his films are about sentiment, really. And this one, definitely, because this is not an action picture. Uh, Definitely one of his better pictures in in quite a while. I watched The Mule. It was like, it was okay. Uh, Not a great movie, but but it was not up to his standards because this Eastwood is an excellent director. So the story is he is plays a, he's 91. He plays a 91 year old one time cowboy and he trains horses and he's working for kind of a scumbag. He may not be a scumbag, but he's not the nicest person played by Dwight Yoakam who does a very good job in the role. You may remember Dwight Yoakam in uh, sling blade where he plays a real scumbag. He's not that guy in this, but he's he's not a particularly likable character. And he's kind of just cut Clint, cuts Clint loose. Boy, that was tricky. He almost said something that I would say on the other show. Yeah, don't, don't. Uh, so he releases uh, Mike Milo. That's uh, Clint's character. He releases Mike. He says, yeah, okay, you're not really holding up here into the bargain. He's like, yeah, I got to let you go. This, this, by the way, that starts, the film starts in 1979. Just does. We cut to a year later, Dwight Yoakam shows back up and says, hey, I really need your help. I need you to go get my son. He's living with his mom down in Mexico, and I just really miss him, and I need I need you to go get him. And and Mike tells him, he's like, he's like come on, you, you got other people that could do that. It's like, why do you want me? And it's like, well, because you're a cowboy, and he likes cowboys, and he'll listen to you. And so he convinces him because he doesn't have anything else to do, and he's going to pay him well. So he gives him the money, and Clint takes off in his uh, – not sure if he's driving a Jeep Wagoneer or, but anyway, he's driving some, you know, one of those old mid seventies SUVs and he's driving past the horses and it's like, Oh, cool. Clint's Clint's kind of doing a Western again. Cause he's, after all, he's playing a cowboy and gets down to Mexico and finds the kid, finds the kid's mom. And she's involved in some, she's very wealthy and maybe involved in some illegal activities. She's not quite sure if she is or not. And she doesn't know where her kid is, and she says, well, maybe he's over here. He's just rebellious, and it's like, whatever. If you can find him, take him. I don't care, blah, 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 blah. And here's where the first problem with the movie comes up for me. Clint's 91. Clint could pass for, like, his late 70s, but he's 91. He he moves a little gingerly because he's 91. So this chick who is mid-30s, late-30s, and she's... Let's say she's very flirty. Well, she comes on to Clint and is like, yeah, why don't you come to bed with me? And it's like, Clint's 91. Did you not realize? I, I know he's Clint Eastwood, but he's 91. It's not particularly <laughs> believable. As a couple of my friends posted on Facebook, it's like, yeah, there are a couple of things that aren't believable. It's like, I know what you're talking about. And he kind of rebuffs her and she gets pissed off and kicks him out and he finds the kid, and the kid doesn't really want to go with him, and then he kind of convinces him, oh, I'm a cowboy, and your dad's got a, got a ranch full of horses, and you'll love it, which which he does. He's telling him the truth, and 
he goes with the kid and he manages to get the kid away. And there's some confrontations with the henchmen of the crazy lady. And Clint decks one of them with one punch. Clint At is 91. 91. Did I mention <laughs> Clint Eastwood is 91? And he decks this guy with one punch. And the guy backs off. Because it's Clint Eastwood, not because it's the 91-year-old Mike Milo, because it's Clint Eastwood. That's the second unbelievable part. They go on. They have this nice, warm relationship that's building between him and the kid. He's like a 13-year-old kid, and they're gradually learning to kind of trust each other and like each other. By the way, Cry Macho comes from the name of the kid because the kid is into cockfights, and he has a chicken, and the chicken's name is Macho. Because that's what he wants to be. He wants to be strong like his rooster, Macho. So that's where Macho comes from. Uh, there are no there are no cockfights in the film. They almost see a cockfight, but it gets broken up before it can start. So there's no animal, animal cruelty in the film. And the chicken survives. Just So if anyone's going to freak out about that, the chicken is okay throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and I don't know how many chickens they use to film this movie, but the chicken's a really good actor. Um <laughs> Does what it's supposed to do on cue and all the rest of it is like, I mean, Clint has a reputation for being one shot. Clint was like, dude, that's pretty incredible. So, and they meet this lady who's a widow and she's mostly by Alan Tiddick. Yeah, (laughs) probably. (laughs) And he meets this lady and she's kind of lonely and it's just this little town and she's maybe in her late forties, maybe pushing 50. And she's really interested in Clint. Did I mention Clint's 91? 91? I'm sensing a pattern. Yeah. So so those are the problems with the film. Here's the issue. Clint was interested in making this film because this is based on a book that was done and written or published, I should say, in the 70s. He wanted to do this in the 70s. If he had done it in the 70s, I'm signing on. It's probably a five-star film. Seriously. It could have been that good. But he decided I, he was probably under contractual obligation to do another Dirty Harry flick or whatever, whatever, and things got away from him. I mean, I'm kind of surprised because he's he did Bronco Billy in the 70s, which was a pet project, which is a terrific film, which this almost could be a sequel of Bronco Billy if they had just changed the character a little bit. Which if you haven't seen Bronco Billy, talk about sentiment and Clint Eastwood. That's a sentimental film. Uh, and Alec Kiddick would have been about nine years old, so he would fit in the chicken costume. He would have fit in the chicken costume. So it's a, it's this lovely character study. It's this lovely road movie. Um, it's very sweet. It's very good-natured. It does have some action in it. Clint does get on a horse. Yay, which is cool. Uh, not for very long, and you can tell <laughs> that it's probably a stunt double at some point because – have I mentioned he's 91? 91. So if they had adjusted the story, and by they I mean Clint – because, dude, you're the director. It's like you didn't write it, but I'm pretty sure you could have said, you know what? People aren't going to buy that. People aren't going to buy me decking a guy with one punch and him not getting up and kicking my ass because I'm 91. He acts like he's still – he is still Clint Eastwood, but he's not Clint Eastwood from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. If, if this had been done 10 years ago, he probably even then could have pulled it off. But – he just looks too frail to be believable doing this. It's just one of them I'll accept. The 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 chick who's wacko and probably would sleep with anybody who walks up because that's kind of how the character is portrayed. I would buy that one time. I would buy maybe he punches one guy. 
I don't buy it happening twice. I would I don't buy him intimidating like henchmen a few times. I don't buy, you know, another woman falling for him. It's like, no, dude. It's like he needed to change this up. And you could have taken those elements out. It could have been a platonic relationship. Totally would have worked because that's how it started. Would have made much more sense. Would have made this a much better film. But it takes you out of the film because it's like, yeah, sure, dude. Sure. And that that's that's unfortunate because if it wasn't for that, this probably is the best movie he's done since Unforgiven. It could have been that good. And that's that's sad to me. Uh, but on the other hand, at least it's not 316 to Paris because, God, that's a horrible train wreck of a movie. So if you can overlook the fact that he's 91 and people don't seem to realize he's 91, they seem to think he's <laughs> they seem to think it's 1971 Clint Eastwood, not the 2021 Clint Eastwood. I mean, literally, if this had been done 50 years ago, 50 years ago, totally what a bother. Absolutely. Bother. Every bit of it. So if you can look past that, it's still a really good film. You just have to like get buckets of suspension of disbelief. And, and it's it's unfortunate because he does a terrific job in the movie. Everybody is very good in this film. I really liked it. But you had those reminders. It's like, mm, yeah. It, or have someone else that also would have been fine. Have somebody else play the cowboy. I, I really don't understand why this has been your pet project and it took you 50 years to do it. And then you screwed the pooch basically by playing the character the way you played the character. Either adjust the plot so it suits a 91-year-old version of the character or get another actor so you can have those scenes and make those scenes believable. Because Bradley Cooper, first name off the top of my head, nailed it. Absolutely would have been fine. A, a dozen guys would have been fine in this role absolutely someone named chris yeah one of the chris's would have been good chris evans oh my god chris evans would say chris hemsworth mm, i don't know he's he's too he's too blonde um but <laughs> <laughs> sure why not christopher christopher pike you know the uh, the fictional guy from star trek he would have been good uh now a lot of actors would have would have been very good in this role and and eastwood is such a good director that they would have known exactly how to play it and that's that was the only issue with the film which again makes me sad because this could have been much much better but uh oh and one other thing that the ending is just they really don't have the closure we needed for the story of the kid and the and his father because they get back together and it well, I'm not going to spoil that part, but it, there needed to be more to that story, like a minute, just a minute more to that story. And it would have been better, would have been better to see where it went from there. But it's a lovely road trip. Clint Eastwood is excellent. I'm happy to see that he's I think he's definitely back on track with the exception of he's 91. Uh, I'll say this much. There's nothing malignant about this film. Oh, you beat me to the thing. I had actually set that up <laughs> in my head. Uh-huh. I blame Ted. Cause, uh, totally Ted's fault. That's what we do on the show. Yeah. You're right. This one's Lee's fault. Yeah, it is Lee's fault. Hi, Lee. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I also watched Malignant, which is much different from this sweet, 
tale of a road trip between a 91 year old man and a 13 year old kid who's trying to get back. Chris to Hardwick is the name I was looking for. I'm just that's, that would have worked. I couldn't think of Chris Hardwick either. And that's exactly, I almost said, it's like, you know, the guy who does the talking dead, he'd be good. I got as far as hard and went, I am not going there. <laughs> that's the other hard. show. That's the other show. So Malignant came out the week before. This is also available, incidentally, on HBO Max, day and date. So if you want to watch this, you can watch it on HBO Max. If you got HBO, you got HBO Max, even if you don't know it. Uh, this is uh, written and directed by James Wan, who has done uh, about half of the popular horror franchises of the past decade or so. So if you like the Conjuring films, you can thank James Wan. If you like the Saw films, you can thank James Wan. He is not responsible for the train wreck that the franchise has turned into, but he's the one, he created the first one, which is a really good film. Uh, if you liked Aquaman, thank James Wan. So he's done some really good work. Uh, he's also done some stuff which... Mm, Not as? Well, here's the thing. He hasn't really done a lot of the films that have kind of taken wrong turns. Like The Conjuring has gotten less interesting to me. Um, Insidious. I was never that thrilled with Insidious anyway. Uh, another horror franchise uh, but, you know, Saw was really good. The Conjuring, the first Conjuring film is really good. If, if you like Furious 7, and I have no idea which one it is, but if you like Furious 7, he directed that one. It, it's one of the films where there's lots of car chases. I know that. Um, and if you liked Aquaman, you like this. So Malignant is an attempt to launch another franchise, basically, because why wouldn't you? It is a young woman who's having terrifying visions of of murders, and it turns out that they're not just visions. It's actually happening in real time. So she's having these horrifying waking dreams. And it turns out that she had been in a hospital, which was not just a mental hospital, but it was also they were doing experimental surgeries, apparently, to try to fix people. And it opens up with a really terrifying scene of someone who is who when they scream, they, they set off like electric electrical activity and they managed to kill a bunch of people, and they and they closed that scene with saying, "It's time to cut out the cancer," which is such such a stock terrible line. I'm already thinking, mm, I don't know about this movie. So it does have some pretty scary scenes as this thing goes along, and this weird person who seems to be able to get into areas where you wouldn't think a person. I mean, it looks like. It's more like a some weird spirit person, although maybe it really is a person. You can't really tell the way it's done, which is smart. Uh, this person is committing murders and is com- killing doctors at this hospital that she was at as a child. So you're trying, they're trying to figure out, okay, what happened at this hospital? And, of course, they're also trying to figure out who is this killer. And at one point they think maybe she's the killer, so they lock her away. And it turns out she's not the killer, but I'm not going to spoil that part of it. Here's one of the problems with this film. They she's weren't paying, 91? No, she's not 91. They're not paying attention to the movie when they're making the film. There's a couple of glaring errors, which tell me if you didn't pay attention to the extremely simple things, you weren't paying attention to the more complex things, and they weren't clearly on some of the other issues. But here's a couple issues I have. So the young lady, I don't even remember the name of the character, Madison, because it's right there on the thing for IMDb. Thanks, IMDb. So Madison, her sister, go is... Trying to help her out her sister who is <clears throat> not really her sister because madison's adopted because bad things happened so her sister sydney 
decides to, which is really confusing because Madison is the character played by Annabelle. Haha, Annabelle from the other thing. And Maddie is the actress who plays Sydney. It's like, I'm so confused already. Maybe that was the problem with the movie. It was doomed at the start. So Sydney drives up. She fi- They get the address for this hospital where all this crap happened back when Maddie was uh, a young girl. So she f- goes, she's driving up to the address, and there's this huge looming estate, which looks like basically like Xanadu out of Citizen Kane, this, this gigantic, almost castle-looking thing. And it's an abandoned hospital on a cliffside at the shore and it hasn't been occupied since the 90s it's like really like that property would just sit empty for 30 years that makes perfect sense it's like no it doesn't that's incredibly stupid why didn't you make it look like this you could have you should have just made it like some warehouse in some industrial park people could have bought that no one is going to believe that this freaking property which probably would have sold for 30 million dollars it would be empty for 30 years. That's incredibly dumb. And it's not presented that it's haunted or anything. That's part two of the problem with this particular property because she's driving up. She sees it as she's driving along this coast road. She's maybe a mile or two away from it. Bright, sunny day. She gets to it and it's dark. It's nighttime. She was maybe two miles away. Nothing happened. They just cut to she pulls up and now it's nighttime. Oh, it's an eclipse. Did you not? think that okay we want it to be dark and spooky when she's looking around in in this abandoned hospital did it not occur to you that maybe she should drive up to it at night you morons it's like it absolutely takes you right out of the movie and it's not because oh it's some supernatural no it's just nighttime and they're too damn stupid to think oh the approach should be shot at night or throw a filter on it make it look like like it's at night it's like dude have you ever done a movie before we know you have because i just talked about all the movies you've done were you asleep when you filmed this what the hell? I almost said something from the, that I would say on the other show. It's so glaring. It's so terrible. Later on in the film, the bad guy, the cops are confronting the bad guy because he's killed like a bunch of people. And he kills a bunch of people in this scene. And he runs away. And the cop is shooting at the bad guy. The bad guy runs behind some columns. He's running out of the room. The cop fired one gun. One, one gun because he had one gun. He fired one shot at the killer. Killer starts running across his field of vision. They cut back to the cop. The cop fires three more shots straight ahead of him. Again, not tracking the villain. Again, do you guys not watch the dailies? Do you not know what the hell you did on the storyboards? Do you know what a storyboard is? What? It's just so unbelievably stupid that they made such glaring. I mean, a fifth grader, two fifth graders would have not made those mistakes making a film at home because they would know, oh, the guy ran. He's got to move his gun along and try to shoot him. What the hell? I had to help my daughter with a storyboard this week. That was interesting. I mean, I'm really pissed off about it because those are such basic things. You don't go from day to night in the span of, well, in an immediate cut in the film time without un, without some explanation as to what happened. But there was no passage of time. It's not a supernatural situation. They just f- Sorry, but I had to say it. You'll have to believe that. They screwed up. And they screwed up again. It's like cops shooting straight ahead. It's like we know that they shoot things out of sequence, but it's like there's supposed to be someone in charge of continuity. Did you guys forget that? Or were you paying $7.15 an hour and they quit? I mean, seriously. I think they hired the person from the Pet Shop Boys movie for it. They must have. (laughs) <laughs> and and those those are 
such obvious errors, and there are several other errors which are more complicated that they made in this film, which every time pull you out of the film. It, it has a really good concept. It has a fairly interesting ending, but some of the things just don't make any sense whatsoever in any reality. And it's it all ties into the fact that they weren't paying attention. Clearly, they weren't paying attention to what the hell they were doing. I mean, when you make such basic errors as you don't even know what the hell one character is doing and you don't even know what the setting is from frame to frame. And, and yeah, there's no way in hell you're tracking a complicated story like this if you can't even do the basics. So Malignant could have been really good, but it's it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible because it's incompetent filmmaking. And it's shocking that this guy did this because he's done really good work. And this is just like, I don't know, did you show up for like two days and put your name on it? I mean, Christ, it's so poorly done. And it's literally, there, and there's, there's no excuse, literally there's no excuse for someone who has proven to be competent to release something like that. Who the hell looked at that and thought, yeah, that looks good. Nobody, clearly nobody looked at this and thought, yeah, we need to fix this. Because it would have been a really easy fix. Cut two scenes, throw a filter done and they didn't do it and and for them to clearly not give a damn about their product is to me is an insult to their audience there's a reason it didn't do anything at the box office it shouldn't it shouldn't anybody who sees this should ask for their money back and and it and that's what's so sad because this could have been a really good film if they had just paid attention to what the hell they're doing but they didn't it's just like oh this looks like it'll be scary let's do this cool love it like oh let's do a throwback to basket case that's kind of cool let's do a throwback to that one episode of of uh the x-files that was really cool let's do that so kind of spoiler alerts but it's like i'm not gonna spoil it although i should because nobody should watch this movie because (laughs) and again it's not that it's that terrible but it's that's so damn insulting that they don't give a damn that they think you're not going to notice how incompetent they were that's what's insulting absolutely ridiculous to release a film like this this is like when they release a video game and it was in beta or alpha <laughs> it's like they need to release 18 patches before the damn thing even works you that's the, this uh, version of that oh what was it the wwe 2020 game where characters could glitch themselves and get uh tied up in the in the ropes and they would you know dance wow. for like an hour and you could never get them out well, that matches the WWE product. No, really. no, no. This is actually the WWE <laughs> product itself. It, it's it's rather horrific. Um, yeah, speaking of rather horrific, that. I, I did. We got to talk about the what if episode. Yeah, we do. I didn't like this one. I know you Ma- didn't. Mainly, <laughs> mainly, mainly because they sp- we spent a lot of time wondering. Well, I spent a lot of time wondering, where are we going with this? And honestly, I'm still not sure. The The storyline in a very short form, uh, it's going back to the beginning of Iron Man 1. The mm-hmm. Humvee has been hit with a thing. Is Tony Stark going to be kidnapped? No, he's rescued by Eric Killmonger, the bad guy from Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Really? And he and Tony get together and they do a thing because he's on Tony's side. Wait, he's against Tony. Now he's pro-Wakanda. He's against 
Wakanda. He's for the U.S. He's pro-Wakanda again. He's pro-him. He is waffling more than an ego factory. I, mm. I, I, it just... I don't think he's waffling at all. I think he's just well, he, hiding he's his not true... Waffling. The, sto- the way the story was told, though... I agree with that. storytelling was waffly. I think that was... I was surprised because I thought they were going to make him... Because, again, this is what if. This is an alternate universe. And I thought they were going to redeem the character. And instead, they don't. Spoiler alert, they don't. It's like Killmonger, whatever. So, a great character. But I'm just saying, if you like what if, you've already seen it. Uh, So, they don't redeem the character. I was surprised that they went that route with it. Uh, I don't mind it. I was surprised. To me, it would have been a better move to redeem the character and make him a hero. I would have liked that more rather than what they wound up doing. Uh, so to me, it's a wasted opportunity. It's like, okay, well, there's so... There's a lot of wasted stuff in this. Um, you, I mean, the, yeah. the, the, uh, here's a spoiler. The last scene, Suri and Pepper get together and they're joining forces and they end the show. Right. Well, hang was, on a minute. Was, no. That was very there's abrupt. It was very abrupt. That was kind of odd. I mean, I think that the thing with me is that this show felt improvised. Which is weird for an animated yeah. show. Um, th- there was a lot of time of a lot of time spent going, well, where exactly are we going next with this? Right. And the animators are going, uh, I don't know. How about over there? Oh, okay, let's go over there. How about over here now? Okay, let's go over there. Yeah, this was odd. It was. I didn't like it. Now, going back to the Doctor Strange episode, there was the director was talking about uh, the fact that they had actually done this before Loki came out. And before WandaVision, I mean, they'd actually done this because there's so much lead time for animation. Right. So some of the terminology was different than than what we've seen. But that has no bearing on this. No. To me, this is a huge wasted opportunity. It's like, okay, so Tony doesn't become Iron Man. Okay, that's that's cool. But it's an alternate universe. Why why bother doing this episode just to have Killmonger going against Wakanda again? It didn't really go in any different direction. Yeah, we, okay, Tony's not Iron Man, and other things happened there. And now Pepper and Shuri are, are together, Suri are together. It was like, okay, so they both have, well, Pepper has a larger role coming up, apparently, maybe. But to me, it's an absolute waste of not doing something more interesting with Killmonger instead of just making him a villain again. And, and he's a less interesting villain. In this one, yeah. because in this this one, he's more of a typical villain. It's like, ha, I'm going to get what I want. We don't really get that that sense of it's like, I'm doing this for the oppressed people of the world, which is what he was doing in Black Panther. It wasn't really about him. It was about his vision for what he felt was right, which makes the best villains, just like Thanos. Thanos thought he was saving half the universe because he's nuts. He didn't look at it as like, <laughs> well, I'm going to kill half the universe. Yay. He thought, I'm going to save half the universe. Because if I don't do this, everybody dies. So he thought he was the hero. Killmonger thought he was the hero in Black Panther. He doesn't think he's the hero in this. It doesn't come across that way at all. all. So to me, that was, I mean, I I like a lot of the scenes that they did. but The sequences were good. Yeah, the the overall motivation, you know, and some of the some of the little stuff is like, hey, I like anime. You know, they have the the usual Marvel light touches, which is really really good. But but to me, this was the one episode that I really really would change the basis of. It's like it absolutely made no sense for Killmonger to rescue Tony and then be a less interesting villain. 
than he is in the main universe. No sense whatsoever. Nope. It's like, if he if you're gonna make him a villain, it's like make him a different kind of villain. Make him do something different. Give him but give him some motivation other than turn him into claw. I'm, I'm greedy. You know, that was very disappointing to me. Something. So basically, what we've got this week is the new stuff. Not worth watching, but if you got an old movie star who's 91, apparently. <laughs> I heard he's 91. <laughs> he, he might be 91. Um, you can kind of watch his movie if you want to. You should watch his movie. Just, you, should, just, you should watch his movie. He's just, 91. It's not like he's going to have more of them to come out. But you can also go back and watch the Bruce Lee movies because I think we agreed that those, those were good. Those are worth watching. Those, of, of everything that we've talked about, by far, those are the two movies to watch. Absolutely. By, absolutely. And you know what? Conveniently, they're available at home, which is where you should be staying because COVID still exists. If you have to get out, wear a mask, socially distance yourself. Otherwise, stay home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power in the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but uh, eh, it's a living. And like that, he's gone. Holy crimson skies of death!